Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and back with me today... For this Mailbag Monday edition of the podcast, after yet another vacation, is my co-host Charlie. Charlie, thank you for once again gracing us with your presence today. I'm really, really glad you could find it in your schedule. Find some time to squeeze us in today. Makes me feel good about myself. You're just a smart aleck from the get-go today, huh? A smart aleck? Well, Where, what is trying to keep it PG. Yeah, I mean, I hear people say smart out. Where does that come from? I don't know. Do we really have? To I don't know. Get I just yeah, that? it's just one of those things. You hear these words I mean, sometimes, I like Google where? It, no, let's but... not. Let's not get into that. But no, I'm. I am though. I'm really glad that you're able to carve some time out for us today. Well, I'm glad. It's, to be I mean, here. it's always it's fun having you in here. We have a good time doing these shows. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, but this is it, right? Like this was officially the last vacation of the summer. I'm sorry. I what? did Google it. Okay. Oh, what do we find? What do we find? The first thing that pops up is that Alec was a real life person who was a con man who thought he was smarter than everyone else. And then the next thing is that it, a smart Alec was a conniving pimp in the 1840s. Alec Hogue was a pimp who lived in New York City in the 1840s. Always learning something new here on the Glory UGA podcast, guys. So the, these are things that I wonder about. Like when you say smart Alec, I'm always wondering, like, where does this come from? Smart Alec, like what? Well, not only are we bringing you interesting High level football mailbag talk. questions from about football today, but also a history lesson. You're welcome. Hey, that, actually, that's my two passions in life, right? I, I love history. I love football. Boom. Let's go. Uh, all right. That's uh, interesting. Smart Sorry. Alec. All right. So but this side is, note, what were you saying? Last vacation. Right, you're done. Like, there's not much summer left. You I'm, have to be done. I'm done, I think, until Charlotte. Was it, do you consider football trips? I guess those are vacations. See, I don't consider them vacations. They're business trips for me. Oh. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, they're fun. Like, of course they're so, fun. And, like, I know, like, I'm not actually playing. But, like, part of the fun is you, if you, you were go playing, into, you would die. Are you calling me old? Yes. Precisely. I mean, my back is, like, done. Like, my, my body is falling apart. Just too much... Too many activities that I'm doing on a daily basis. I don't want to take enough time off. I'm getting there old. You go. You're like as a old. kid, I, yeah, as a kid, I used to be able to like do all these things, tennis, run, whatever, and not worry about it. Now I'm like, oh my god, I'm officially getting old. It can still be fun, old. a fun trip, 
Even if you're not playing. Right, no, it is fun. I'm just saying it's a business trip. I've never, I don't know. I guess they are vacation, all all the road trips that I make, but I never considered them vacation. Because me, vacation, I Vacation, I guess I always think in my mind growing up, was like you're gone for like an extended period of time. Like it's a quick two-night trip. You're out. You're in, you're out, you're back home. But is it fun? Yeah, it's fun. So it's vacation. Is that how we define vacation? Did your mind just explode? No, I mean, I just, I guess it, you're right. I think you're right. It is vacation. I just never thought of it that way. But okay. All right. Well, I hope that you're going to be with us for the next couple of months, right? Yeah. You're not going to randomly just disappear? I mean, there's people, always a people, chance. People have been wondering, like, where is Charlie? What's going on? So I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're back. But all right, guys. Today, we actually have some very exciting news to share with you. I told you guys last week when I announced that we had hit our goal of 275 five-star reviews. Thank you again for all that support, guys. That uh, I told you guys that all that support and uh, like kind of following, interacting with us on, on our new Instagram and Facebook accounts, all that is really going a long way in helping us, guys. It's helping us keep this thing rolling in a big way. I also, on that show, hinted that we have been working on some stuff behind the scenes. Not Charlie so much. She's been doing whatever she's been doing. I have been working on some things behind the scenes. Uh, and we're excited to finally be able to announce one of those things. Probably the biggest thing that we've been working on. We now have an official title sponsor for the Glory UGA podcast. Uh, it's been a long time coming, guys. This is, this is going to go a long way in making it possible for us to continue to bring you our brand of Georgia sports coverage, keep people like Charlie here on the show, and uh, give her a reason to come back instead of just constantly going around the world, gallivanting to whatever she's doing. And uh, as I say all the time, guys, I know at the risk of repeating myself, I, we really have you guys to thank for that. We might not be the biggest podcast in the world, certainly not the biggest podcast in the world, not even close to it, but as far as I'm concerned, we've got the best listeners out there, and we hope you know that we appreciate each and every one of you, but without further ado, I am extremely excited to announce that the Glory UGA podcast is now brought to you by our very good friends at Alumni Hall. If you are not familiar with Alumni Hall, first off, I'm sorry that you are just hearing about it now, but if you have never heard of Alumni Hall, uh, it's located in Athens in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center. It's a store that is 100% dedicated to providing the best selection of Georgia gear and accessories that, I'm dead serious guys, that you will find anywhere. To me, it's really not even close. Uh, And trust me on this guys, I am what I would call, I think I would call myself a connoisseur of Georgia gear. Is that fair to say, Charlie? Yes. I mean, I, I think if anyone can claim that title, it's, I mean, I don't like to talk myself up. I think it's me. I've frequently come to your house to record and there's an alumni hall box at the door. And just my... And I just got mine the other day because I always order my game day outfit. Yes. Because I'm sorry, it's just hot. So I always order the new Nike golf tank top yeah. for women, which is very nice. And it is super nice to have a new one this year, every year. Is it like a racer back? Uh, or go with a sleeveless know. polo? See, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm not sure. I got like, you. I've cute. seen those. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. I like it's my, cute. Makes my shoulders look good. You know, uh, shoulders gotta, gotta, gotta look gotta good. Always gotta, gotta, gotta always gotta look good. Um, and then I also got myself a new pair of Nike running shorts. Nice from Alumni Hall, which are super fabulous. And let me guess, they were not red. No, you, but you, I got I'm, outside the box oh. and they're gray. 
Oh, usually, just usually you're black. straight black. Usually, yeah. yeah. Guys, Charlie's basically the woman in black. She's she's Johnny Cash. It's my favorite like, color. Like, that's what she does. It's my favorite color, but I, I mean, got out of the box. It, 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 that fits your personality, by the and way. And I got just some gray. put that out there. Thank you. And so, yeah, Alumni Hall. Love to shop there. And if you have a special lady in your life or a daughter, mm-hmm. get their gear there. It's wonderful. I, I'm not a... Obviously, I'm a dude, right? So I don't buy women's clothing for myself, but I actually spend a lot of time in the women's section alumni hall because I like to kind of, I, I try to be a nice guy and I try to, when I buy myself something, I always kind of feel guilty. So I always want to buy my wife something as well. And uh, so I spend a lot of time in their women's section searching for things that she would like. And I've gotten very good at that because at this point in our marriage, I know exactly what she likes and what she wants to wear. And so I've, got, I've been pretty good. I spent a lot of time there. I should probably spend more time in the women's section than I do in the men's section. She always looks good on game day. I mean, I she's awesome. She can dress. But like when it comes to Georgia gear, where she's wearing it, I bought it. You do buy all her clothes. Uh, Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. She's not a shopper. Yeah. She's not a shopper. She's not a shopper. But but for me, like, how much of my wardrobe would you say is Georgia gear? Hmm. 95%? The only time I wear something that's not Georgia is when I'm at work. And then I'm at work, I'm I'm always repping the Georgia still belt. still like red or black or gray or I mean, white? I essentially have three colors I wear. It's re- well, four. Red, black, white, gray. Yeah, I don't More or less. see you. In- I branch out every like if it's if it's a polo, it's those colors essentially. I'll, I'll try. I, I like bright colors. I also like you know a nice bright pink, bright green. I like the neon colors, so I'll branch out occasionally. But if it's not at work, I'm wearing Georgia gear and all of that stuff. I, I would say, uh, yeah, ninety five percent of my wardrobe is probably Georgia gear, and all of that comes from Alumni Hall. And look, I, I mean, guys, this time of year, I am literally checking their website every day to see what new gear is coming in. Uh, so. For me, like late July, August, that's my Christmas every year because that's when all the new gear for the coming season starts to kind of leak out. And guys, Alumni Hall is getting more and more new gear every week. They just got some new dry fit Southern Tide polos with the old school vintage standing dog. Uh, just straight fire, guys, really. Uh, I just picked up four new Nike tops. I'm kind of a minimalist guy. I like simple, not too flashy other than like my neon colors. But, like when it comes to like the design of the shirt, I just want a simple small Jeep. And uh, I tweet out pictures of these, so if, you might have seen them, but if not, the new uh, Nike coaches tops are out. They got both short sleeve, long sleeve. And uh, this year's versions are killer. I love them. A uh, slight little V-neck to them, which is kind of new, cool. Uh, just a small little G and Nike logo just under the collar. Really exactly what I'm looking for. They got them in light gray. They got them in black. And uh, obviously, I had to get all four of them. I got two long sleeves, two short sleeves there. They're light, not too, not too tight. Uh, they're dry fit. You really cannot beat it. And the early season Nike coaches polos are also out. Um, which are really sharp looking polos this year. And uh, we could go on and on talking about all this great stuff that Alumni Hall has in stock. But with the 2021 season now just a month away, I mean, guys, buckle up. We are in the home stretch here. It's August, so it's time to gear up to look your best on game days. If you want to win the tailgate, there is no better place to shop than Alumni Hall. They have by far, and I'm serious, guys, by far the best selection of George gear anywhere. They've got Nike, the most extensive Nike golf selection that you'll find, which I'm a huge fan of personally. They've got Peter Millar, Cutter and Buck, Southern Tide, Columbia, you name it, they've got it. They've literally got gear that you will not find anywhere else. And you don't have to be local like Charlie and I here in Athens. You can order online today and have it delivered to your doorstep 
with fast shipping and easy returns if something does not work out you can buy online pick up in store they really really make it easy for you they offer a 10 percent discount for georgia students and also for veterans and they have a hall pass rewards program that gives you ten dollars off your next purchase for every hundred and fifty dollars that you spend all you gotta do is just make sure you sign up and give me your email address when you shop and you are set and good to go the new arrivals guys they are in they're flying off the shelves so don't wait shop with alumni hall today in person at their epps bridge center location in athens or online at alumnihall.com to get your gear for the 2021 season but all right charlie enough of that we've got some questions to answer today huh Yes, we do. What, we got do. an even 10, I think is what you gave me? I mean... 10 questions we got here? Now that you ask, I'm going to have to look. Yes, we ten have 10. questions. All right, let's see what we got. All right, are you ready? Let's go. All right. Well, don't look now. Don't look. But Not fall looking. camp starts this Friday. Which is kind of weird on a Friday, but hey, I'm just excited Friday, it's almost here. August 6th. Let's go. I can't believe let's it's go. August. Okay. And positions will be won and lost over the course of the next month. So with that in mind, Derek wants to know, what are the biggest position battles that you're watching in fall camp, and how would you handicap them? Yeah, this is a great question. Actually, I love this question. We were going to do an entire episode just focused on position battles, but we got this question, so I figured we just throw it here at the top, right? And you know, I talked about it, but I figured we could just throw it in here. So good question. This is one that we were certainly thinking of. There's a couple positions that come to mind for me. I think cornerback is one that you've got to watch. Now, getting Darian Kendrick and Tyke Smith, you've got to feel very confident those two guys are going to start. You're going to have Tyke Smith almost certainly at the star position. You're going to have Darian Kendrick at one of the cornerback spots. We were fearful before the Kendrick transfer that we might be in a position where we're going to have two very untested, inexperienced players starting, the star, or starting at the two cornerback positions going into the game against Clemson with their offense, which is known to try to push the ball vertically on the field. And then that's never really... A situation you want to be in but it looks like right now with the transfer of Darren Kendrick we're gonna have one of those cornerback positions that's gonna be wide open and there's gonna be an inexperienced player playing at that position regardless of who wins it whether it's gonna be Keely Ringo former five-star prospect a really highly rated guy coming out of high school who I was extraordinarily high on when he came out um Amir Speed who's been here I, you know I was actually going back and watching some of the Rose Bowl a couple of days ago and you see, who do you see on the sideline? Amir Speed, Latavius Breen. These guys who are still on the roster. There's a few guys that are still left over from that Rose Bowl team, that team that won the SEC Championship in 2017. Amir Speed is one of those guys who's never really been a guy that's played many, many meaningful snaps out there. He's been a great special teams player for us, but he's going to be in the thick of this competition as well. You got Jalen Kimber, Nylon Green coming in as a true freshman as well. is going to certainly factor in. He was here for the spring. So that's a position to watch. Now, handicapping them, Kimber seemed to have the lead in the spring, but you also have to factor in the the fact that Keely Ringo is coming off the shoulder surgery that cost him all of last year. He's kind of really this past spring was Keely Ringo's like first full speed practice as a Georgia Bulldog. Those were his first full practices. So naturally you have to understand that there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him just going out there and getting those reps. Whereas Kimber had all of last season. Now he wasn't getting reps of the ones, but he was getting reps out there all last season. So he's a little bit ahead of the game there. I really like Jalen Kimmer. Jalen Kimmer is a really talented player. He is an elite athlete. That guy can flat out move. But Keely Ringo, to me, from a physical standpoint, is just a notch above. His speed, his size, athleticism, his leaping ability, his hips, all of those things. He has everything you look for in an elite cornerback from a physical standpoint. The problem is he's just entirely inexperienced. 
So it's one of those things. It's just really hard to predict here. You're going into a game week one against an opponent that is a top five caliber program. It's been one of the top programs, one of the top two programs, really, let's be real here, one of the top two programs over the past five, six, seven years. And uh, I know they're breaking a new quarterback, but he's a highly talented quarterback, former five-star in his own right. They're going to, they have weapons on the outside. They're going to try to push the ball down the field. They're going to try to do some things and attack whoever is at that position. So do you go with a guy like Keely Ringo or Jalen Kimber, who you think gives you the most athleticism out there, the most talent, or do you go with a guy like Amir Speed? Do you kind of default to a guy who's been in the system longer? Now, he doesn't really have much more experience than those guys actually out there on the field in meaningful situations, but he's been in the system longer. Maybe you have more trust in him knowing what to do than you do in Kimber and Ringo. So that's a tough one to handicap. I think it's going to come down to how much trust can Ringo and or Kimber earn during the course of these next couple of weeks as we lead into the start of the season. Because I, I'm firmly believe, I firmly believe that Kimber and Ringo both are more talented than Amir Speed. But again, the coaches, Kirby has shown this time and time again. He will not put you out there, especially in the secondary. One mistake can mean sixth for the other team. He will not put you out there if you do not know what to do, if he cannot trust you. So that's going to be the, the issue for Ringo and Kimber, that's what they're going to have to do. Is they're going to have to earn Kirby's trust. They're going to have to earn Dan Lenning's trust. They're going to have to earn Jamila Dye's trust, the new cornerback coach, or the, new, the new DB coach. They're going to have to earn the trust because the talent is there, but they're just going to have to show that they can be put out there on an island and go out there. And, they, and sure, they're not going to be put on islands consistently, but they're going to have to, you can't go out there and say, well, we can't run this coverage because we don't trust these guys. If that's the case, then you have to go with a guy like Amir Speed. So if I had to handicap it right now, I'm going to err on the side of talent here, and I'm going to go, man, I'm going to go Ringo or Kimber. Right now, Kimber has the edge come out of spring practice because, again, he's just had more reps in this system, but I think with a spring practice under his belt, with the ability he has from a physical standpoint, just an overall talent standpoint, I think Keely Ringo is going to step up and win that job coming into week one. That's, and I'm going to limb there. I'm going to go Keely Ringo there. Uh, left tackles, other spot to watch for me. And this is an interesting one for me. So I guess you can say the left tackle candidates are kind of fighting each other here. And you could say, you could say Xavier Trush, you could say Amarius Mims, maybe even Broderick Jones, two underclassmen who are really, really talented. You could say those guys are fighting it out. And that's true. But I think the bigger battle here is those, whoever comes out of that group of kind of inexperienced left tackles. It's them versus Tate Ratledge. I know Tate Ratledge doesn't play left tackle. Tate Ratledge is playing guard. But we have two spots right now that are open on this offensive line. We have one guard spot and we have a tackle spot. Those are the spots that are open right now. So I think the question becomes who steps up and earns the coaches trust more? Is it one of those left tackle candidates? Is it Xavier Trust? Is it Amarius Mims coming in as a true freshman? Or is it Tate Ratledge at guard? Because it's all about mixing and matching the offensive line. We have the talent, guys. We've been recruiting at an elite level, really better than any team in the country for years at that position, going back with Sam Pittman. We have the talent there. That's not the question. It's all about finding the right match there. So I think what it's going to come down to is, does Tate Ratledge earn the coach's trust more than the, the candidates at left tackle? Because the key here is Jamari Salyer. Jamari Salyer can play inside at guard or outside at left tackle, which he played all of last year. Now, he played the Peach Bowl at guard, and I think long-term, that's we've talked about this before, that's where he fits better. But it comes down to, with his versatility, do the coaches trust like Xavier Truss at left tackle? And that means you can slide 
Jamari Salyer in to guard and have him and Schaefer be your two guards? Or do they trust Tate Ratledge more? And that means you have Schaefer and Tate Ratledge as your two guards and you, you put Jamari Salyer back at left tackle again. That's what it's going to come down to. And I don't know how that's going to play out. I have heard a ton of good things about Tate Ratledge going back to the spring. I thought he performed pretty well in, uh, in, in the spring game back in April. And I've heard a lot of really good things about him just getting after it this uh, this spring, this summer, going into fall camp. So if I had to handicap it right now, here's what I think is going to happen. I think you're going to have Justin Schaefer start at, at left guard. I think you have Tate Ratliff start at right guard. And I think you're going to see Jamari Salyer in week one, at least in week one, the first couple of weeks, start at left tackle. Now, I know Jamari probably wants to play. I know, actually, I know Jamari wants to play guard because he knows that's probably where his future is at the next level. But he's also willing to do what's best for this team. And I think Right now, it's going to be him playing left tackle. So, And I, I think personally, I feel better with Jamari Salyer at left tackle against Clemson. Think about the guys they have on that defense line, especially Miles Murphy coming off the edge there. Do you really, really feel good and comfortable about Xavier Truss and, and, or even Amarius Mims? As talented as he is as a true freshman, do you really feel good about them going against that defensive line, especially guys coming off the edge like Miles Murphy in week one? I don't. I'd much rather have Jamari Salyer out there. I, I'm not saying Salyer's an elite left tackle, but he, he showed last year he is a very good left tackle. He can certainly play that position at a pretty high level. I feel much more confident and comfortable with him week one against Clemson left tackle and Tate Ratledge on the inside. Now, look, Tate Ratledge is going to have his, his hands full too with guys like Brian Brissy on the interior, no doubt, but you really want to be able to protect your quarterback's blind side first and foremost, and I just feel more comfortable with with Jamari Salyer out there. And I think the coaches probably are going to end up feeling the same way. So we'll see how it plays out. But that's what I'm watching here. Wide receivers, another position to watch. Uh, at the X, does Jermaine Burton start there? Does he take control of that position? Once George first went down prior to Burton going down himself, he had moved over to X for a couple of days. He played Z last year. He was the starting Z receiver from day one. So does he start there and just take control of that, that position? Does he become our alpha number one wide receiver? Where does Eric Gilbert factor in? He's probably going to be an X. Can he make a move right now? During the summer, he's been working kind of with the threes when we've been doing the seven-on-seven seven stuff. Can he make a move once we get into fall camp? He gets more comfortable with the system. How healthy is Marcus Rosemead Jackson? Because if that guy's healthy, we saw what he was doing before the injury last year. I mean, heck, he got injured on a touchdown catch against Florida in that, in that game in Jacksonville. I'm very high on how good he can be, and I think he is a true X receiver as well. Uh, do the coaches like what we have enough in Gilbert and Rosemead to keep Burton at Z? Like These are questions that have to be answered. I don't know. It's tough to handicap that because all these guys are coming off injuries. What are you going to get from Eric Gilbert coming and trying to learn this system? These are things that I, I honestly, I want to know. I wish I could tell you that I know. I just don't know. And then let's say if Burton does play X, well, who plays Z? Is it Arian Smith with that kind of tantalizing speed? Did spending a, a couple of months with the track team, that set him back on the football side of things? A.D. Mitchell is a guy who made a big move in the spring coming in. Can he carry over some of that momentum as, as a first-year player? taking that over from spring to the summer. Can he do that? How healthy is Dominic Blaylock? Will he factor in this? He was really coming on back in 2019 before suffering back-to-back -back ACL injuries on the same knee. So there's a lot of questions to be answered there. And I, I, I mean, I guess if you want me to handicap it, I'm going to say, oh man, I'm going to say Burton starts the season at X. And you're going to have Gilbert and, and Rosemead Jack Saint certainly factoring in there as well. The good thing about Burton is that he gives you some versatility. He can play X. He can play Z. He also can play in the slot if you want him to. Uh, I'll, say, I'll say he's going to start at X. And then opposite him at the Z, I'm going to say A.D. Mitchell. I just keep hearing so many good things about A.D. Mitchell. I think he's really going to work himself into some playing time. I think Aaron Smith's going to play a lot as well. Um, I just... 
I need to see look, I need I need to see more from AD Mitchell as well. I haven't seen him in a real game, obviously. We've seen like seven snaps from Arian Smith, and we know he has the speed, but I need to see I need to see him show the ability to do more of the things that receivers do other than just like run a vertical nine round, and just burn past people. If that's all you can do, that's great. That's going to help us. But I need to see a little bit more than that before I can say I'm going to pencil him in as a starter at one of those two positions. But there's a lot of options there. And that's that might be the position I'm watching closest because I just, I don't know how it's going to play out. We have a lot of really talented players. I'm very curious to see how that plays out. And then finally here, I think, obviously we know who the number one quarterback is going to be. JT Daniels is that guy, but who's going to be the number two guy? We saw Carson Beck make huge strides in the spring, worked himself. It's, I mean, it's, you saw G Day, he was taking a, almost all the reps with the number two offense. Stetson Bennett got a few here and there, but I don't know if I'm much to read in that because Stetson, like, we just kind of know what we have in Stetson right now, so we didn't see him all that much at G Day. But uh, here's the thing is it going to be Stetson or is it going to be Carson Beck? Because the coaches know what they have in Stetson Bennett. We actually have verifiable evidence. No matter what you think about him last year, no matter what his shortcomings might have been, we do have verifiable evidence that Stetson Bennett can go out and win SEC games. He did it last year, guys. Might not have won the big one against Bama. Might not have been able to beat Florida. But we have evidence that can go out and beat good SEC teams. He did it. Beat Auburn, if you want to call them a good team last year. Beat Tennessee, if you want to call them that. Certainly were not a good team. But won some games, all right? Now, I think to take that number two job, Carson Beck is going to have to be unquestionably better. He cannot be even with Stetson because if it's even, then to me, you default to Stetson Bennett, the guy who has experience and has shown you evidence that he can go out there and win games. Beck might be able to do that. Hasn't done it yet. We don't know. And then how does Brock Vandergrift fit in this? I, I've heard some, some some things behind the scenes this summer that he's going to have a role on this team in year one going to have packages that this guy with his ability to run the football is going to fit into maybe on the goal line but I just don't know if I see him ready to come in and win over, take over that number two job going into his first season I think it's either going to be Beck or, or Bennett and right now I'd probably lean towards Stetson with his experience and again that's just the evidence that he's been able to go out and show that he can win SEC games all right. Too much for you, Charlie? I, I saw you start to kind of like lose interest there for a second. Feel free to jump in here. I know I, I kind of just started going. I know, I know. you just kept going. But just anyways, punch me. So I'm going to keep going now. All right, go. So we know the offensive shortcomings have held Kirby Smart back from winning his first national championship in the program. Yep. First since 1980. This really? Is, going there? Well, it's obvious to anyone who's watched okay. Georgia football over the past five years but this is a new year, and Axe wants to know, where do you project Georgia's offense to finish in total offense and passing offense this year? Charlie, would it be crazy if I said we could be a top 10 offense this year? I don't think it's crazy. I mean, based on... You've been paying attention to the offseason. And also, if you put last year in context. Right. That's the thing. People look at last year and say, well, Georgia wasn't good on offense, so why? how are you going to say they're going to go from like being in the 40s to all of a sudden being a top 10 offense? And like I said, it's all about context for me here. So I know to some of you, this might sound crazy based off of last year's offensive numbers, if you're just looking at the numbers. But to me, throw those numbers out. They really don't matter to me, okay? They really don't. If you look at last year, we all know it was a COVID year, but there was so much more than just that for this Georgia offense. It was a new system with a new offensive coordinator with no spring practice, really, and really just no, almost no contact with players other than Zoom. We had a chaotic fall camp at the quarterback position. We thought Jamie Newman was going to be our quarterback. We prepared all offseason for that to be the, the case. Then he up and offs out a couple of weeks before the season starts. Then we think it's going to be Dewan Mathis, but that didn't really work out. Then you're, then you're going to go into the rest of the, your schedule after week one 
with Stetson Bennett, the guy who a couple weeks before that was like fifth string for you, fourth or fifth string. All of a sudden, now he's your starting quarterback. So it's just a chaotic situation in quarterback to start the year. And Stetson, to his credit, certainly brought stability to the offense. But I mean, he had obvious physical shortcomings. We all know that. I don't want to go into that. We all know that. We love Stetson. I don't want to kill him, but there were some shortcomings there. And then you had George Pickens, who was injured for, for a couple of weeks there in the middle of the season. Uh, had to start a true freshman in, in Jermaine Burton at wide receiver from day one. Then when JT steps in as our starting quarterback, all of a sudden our offensive numbers, oh yeah, huh, go figure, they skyrocket. So those numbers from last year are essentially irrelevant to me, at least if you take the whole year, if you look at the whole year. What is relevant to me is how I saw Todd Munkin scheme around some of those deficiencies and find ways to get guys consistently open in a way that we had just never seen a Georgia offense do under Kirby Smart. Now, to be fair, we did not always make the plays when they were there, but go back and watch the tape, guys. I spent all offseason just pouring over every single game. And what I'm more concerned about is that the plays were there to be made. Todd Munkin dialed them up, guys. All season long, he was dialing up plays. We just didn't always have the ability to hit those plays because of shortcomings at certain positions. Just put that out there, right? So let's fast forward to where we are now. So now we have a full year in this system with Todd Munkin. We actually had spring practice this year. We are loaded at the skill positions. We have a returning quarterback who's now healthy, by the way, and his presence last year coincided with an offensive explosion, a resurgence the last four games of the season. And uh, he's a guy, JT's a guy, he's not without faults, but let's be real. He's 100% the best quarterback that Kirby Smart has had at Georgia. Now, we do have some questions about the offensive line, at least I do. Uh, like I said earlier, we have the talent there. We just need to find the right pieces and put them in the right spots. And also, guys, I know it's not 2011 anymore. I know football has advanced in the past decade. But let's also not forget all those things that we were saying about Todd Munkin when he was first hired about a year ago. Remember those prolific top 10 offenses at Oklahoma State? Yeah, they happened. Remember that prolific passing offense in Tampa Bay that he led? Yeah, that happened. We've seen it. We've seen Munkin do it at a high level, and he's working with more overall talent than he ever has at any of his stops at the college level. And let's go back to the numbers. If you want to look at the numbers, I think the relevant numbers to look at are the last four games with JT Daniels as the quarterback, because that's who's going to be our quarterback this year. Now, in those games, we averaged seven and a half yards per play, which is insanely good, guys. That is elite. If you extrapolate that out over the course of an entire season, that would have put us fourth nationally in yards per play last year. That is elite offensive efficiency. 37.2 points per game with JT Daniels' last four games. That would have put us in the top 20. And there were two games there, especially the South Carolina game, where we just kind of, we weren't even trying to score in the second half. Let's just be real. We were not trying to score. And we still put up 37.2 points per game with JT. That would have been inside the top 20 last year. 486 yards per game. Those last four games would have put us in the top 15 last year. And all of that was done with a quarterback that wasn't close to 100% and was coming in cold off the bench after essentially not taking any reps with the ones all season before he finally got the nod going into that Mississippi State game. So now this season with JT fully healthy, we've got a full offseason with him as the guy that you can plan around. You have an offense with a full year in the system with a spring practice, far more weapons at the skill positions than we had last year. 
I do, for those reasons, expect us. I do. I expect us. I'm not, I don't think it's just possible. I'm saying I expect us to be inside the top 10 in most offensive metrics going into this year. You can say total offense. You can say yards for play. You can say passing offense. I feel okay with that. I'm not, I, I won't go as far as say I'm predicting like an LSU level jump from like 2018 to 2019, like where they went from like outside the top 60 to number one in the country in total offense. But I, I think top 10 is very doable. And I think that may be conservative to be honest. And this is the biggest question on the team. I think like if we are that good on offense, this is a national championship team. If we're only top 30 on offense, we can we can be a contender again. I don't think we're going to win a national title for only top 30. I think we have to be in this, inside the top 10. If you look at the last couple of years, these teams that are winning national titles, they're inside the top 10. And I think we, this is what we're going to have to be. And I think we have the ability to do that this year. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Well, we're very excited to hear from our good friend Josh, who I think Josh. is starting a graduate program at UGA this fall. So congratulations. Yeah, I think he tweeted that out. Big time congrats, Josh. Um, but he's looking at the season opener against Clemson and is curious about this question. He wants to know, how do you feel our offensive line will be able to hold up against the exotic blitzes that Venables will throw at us, including disguising pressure and bringing the heat on third and long? It's a great question, Josh. And we touched on this a little bit on the Clemson Sky, the, the Enemy episode. If you guys haven't checked that out, it's still out there. You can go and check that out. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit here as well. I am concerned, Josh. I, I will say I I am I do have some concerns there because their defensive line, we all know it's been talked about all, all offseason. They are very, very good. But it's not just the defensive line. It's kind of how they play and how they approach defensive football. They are a run-through front seven. And what I mean by that, guys, if you haven't heard this guy in the enemy episode, is essentially when the ball is snapped, their linebackers are moving downhill. Like when when the ball is snapped, it's almost like they have like seven guys at the line of scrimmage. That's how quickly those guys are moving downhill. And they do that to be disruptive, to cause chaos, cause confusion, to get negative plays. And they do a really good job at that. And you have to understand, guys, in this game, there are going to be negative plays. There are going to be plays where they tackle our backs at, at or behind line of scrimmage. And you're going to say, oh my God, why are we doing that? Because, there's a reason for it, guys. You got to keep doing it, even if there's some negative plays, because when they're so aggressive in their run-through philosophy with their linebackers, what that means is basically you're going to have one level. 
you often hear like you have the first level, second level, third level on defense, right? First level being the defensive line, second level being the linebackers, third level being the secondary. Well, there almost is no second level or no middle level. There's almost only two levels because they're just so aggressive downhill. And they create a lot of negative plays doing that. But if you can get past and break through that first level, then you have an opportunity to hit some huge chunk plays on offense on the ground. And that's what Oklahoma or Ohio State last year, or the past two years they played them, they murdered Clemson with those plays. I mean, Trey Sermon went off. Remember those, all those big plays Trey Sermon was hitting in that, in that playoff game? Well, that's because once he got past that initial line, that line of defenders there with, with Clemson being as aggressive as they were, he's off the races. So that's something to certainly watch going into this game. It is concerning because we do have some guys that are going to be first-year stars in that offensive line, whether it's a left tackle, whether it's a guard. There's going to be some guys that are going to be young going against a really good defensive line. There's no doubt there. And they're going to create some negative plays. But I do also like the, the opportunities that we're going to have to kind of hit those big chunk plays in the run game. And if they do get some third and long, Josh, you're right. They're going to be very aggressive. They're going to bring the heat and dial some things up on third and long, a lot like we do. That, it's, our philosophy generally on defense is, Let's be conservative on first and second down. Let's be structurally, uh, let's have structural integrity and let's get to third and long where we get really exotic and really aggressive doing some things to try to confuse quarterbacks and force them into, into mistakes and, and uh, get them off the field. So Clemson does a lot of that as well. Clemson is more aggressive on third down. Like we bring pressure at times, but really we don't bring more than four rushers all that often, even on third downs. We just make it look like we are with simulated pressure and we bring guys from different angles and different spots. We'll, we'll show pressure, then drop and, and do a lot of different things. We just get very exotic with that, but we don't bring more than four guys all that often. Like we certainly do it from time to time. You can't do one thing all the time, but Clemson's far more aggressive on third down. And that is concerning. Again, if you have a left tackle going out there in his first big time game like that, that's, that's certainly a concern there. But I feel like if we have Salyer at left tackle, this is where I'd come in with Jamari Salyer. I feel like if we go Salyer at left tackle, that certainly makes me feel a lot more comfortable there. Tate Ratledge is going to have his hands full. Guys like Brian Brasile on the interior, certainly. But I just, I think I would put more of a premium on protecting that blind side at left tackle. But great question, Josh. All right. Well, I mean, I guess Texas and Oklahoma are coming to the SEC. What are you guessing? They're coming. I mean, we don't know when, but they're coming. They're coming. And our fans have already started talking. Or, excuse me, their fans have already started talking. Oh, yes, they have. All over the place. Why would you Why would you slam the conference you're going to? Because it makes you feel good about yourself. But you're going, so you might as well... What? It, is I is there it. any... Okay, Charlie. Is there any logic or reason no. in fandom? Exactly. There's just not. So, Ben says he's been... Hearing and seeing OU fans state that the SEC is nothing and are just a top-heavy conference. So he wants to hear your opinion on the SEC being top-heavy. And if it is, is it more top-heavy than any other conference, specifically the Big 12? Yeah, I mean, you have like, you have heard Which, people... Which, in my opinion, would be the most top-heavy conference Oklahoma's won six is. straight SEC titles. Right. Six straight Big 12 titles, not right. SEC. I mean, Clemson's the same thing. Clemson's won six straight ACC titles, but the SEC is the top-heavy conference. Like, I know Bama's really good, but I mean, you've got two conferences where the same team has won six straight years. Hey, I, hey. No, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. You're 100 right. Like, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. Like, and not only have Oklahoma and Clemson won six straight titles, they've hardly been challenged in that time span. They just, there haven't really been consistent challenges. Like, okay, Iowa State's been pretty good the past couple of years. Texas had like one year where they 
played Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. They kind of pushed them a little bit, but I don't know if they were really a, a legit challenger in that game. And then you look at the Big 10, you got Ohio State there. Ohio State, I mean, look, the Big 10 is Ohio State and everyone else, right, Charlie? I mean, Michigan is is nothing. Yeah. Penn State is good, but I'm mean, okay. Michigan's not nothing, but Michigan's not a, a they haven't challenged Ohio State. Penn no. State, no, they haven't. Penn State beat Ohio State like one time a couple of years ago with James Franklin. And then the West, the Big Ten West, none none of those teams really challenge Ohio State. Like Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwest, they don't challenge Ohio State. Nebraska, of course not. So like I mean, I think the Big Ten is more top-heavy with Ohio State than the SEC is. I mean, Ohio State's won four in a row, five last seven Big Ten titles. And look, yeah, Bama has been awesome. It's the greatest college football dynasty probably in the history of the sport. But, I mean, okay, yeah, Bama's won six of nine SEC titles. But I would also say that they've been challenged more than the Oklahomas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States in their conferences in those title games. Like, look at the 2012 SEC title game. Right, that's the game where I kind of collapsed on the floor of the of the Georgia Dome. R.I.P. Georgia not Dome. That, that was a tough one. The 2018 SEC title game. We had the game won, and Alabama, to their credit, came back and and they won late. Sure, but like we pushed them out as far as you could possibly be pushed in that game. Last year, I hate to give Florida credit, but Florida came within a touchdown of beating Alabama in last year's SEC title game. So, look, I guess what I would say is, I think all conferences, right, Charlie? Can we say all conferences are top heavy? Yeah. I mean, that's the nature of the sport. I mean, there's, this is a sport of haves and have-nots. That's just the nature of college athletics. So I would say all conferences are top-heavy, but I would say the SEC is less so because there are multiple contenders every year. Uh, and like in the, the teams that don't win the SEC would have a very good chance most years of winning some of those other conferences. Like our 2018 team, our 2012 team, yeah, we fell tantalizingly short to Alabama. And just, oh God, it was torturous. But I think we were probably the second best team in the country, at least in 2012, and maybe even in 2018. I think you could make that argument. I think we could have beaten some of those teams in the college football playoff if we would have gotten in. But we just happened to have Bama there. So I just think the SEC, yeah, it's top heavy. You've got Georgia, you've got Alabama, you've got LSU most years. You've got A&M now is kind of throwing their, their weight around a little bit. Florida's up there for the past couple of years, and they've been up there for the past 20 years for the most part with a few years here and there. So, yeah, the SEC is top-heavy, but there's more like legit contenders in the SEC than there are in some of these other conferences, in my opinion. So, yeah, I'm with you, Ben. I totally agree, man. All right. Well, up next, we have a couple of questions from another good friend of the podcast, and it's always good to get questions from Josh and Cliff. Josh and Cliff on the same show. Same question. Let's episode. go. Appreciate it, guys. Cliff has a really interesting question about the Clemson game. So he wants you to give us two players, one on offense and one on defense, that give you confidence that the Dogs win in Charlotte, and then give us two players, one offense and one defense, that give you anxiety about the matchup. I always have anxiety. <laughs> I can go on and on about anxiety. Uh, confidence. All right, but you guys know I am confident about this 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 first matchup of the season against Clemson. I feel really good about this game, and I keep waiting for that to change as we get closer and closer and for the anxiety to kick in. And like the anxiety has started to kick in, but I still feel really confident that we're going to win this football game. So let's go with a couple players here. So he's at one offense, one defense. Yep. This really is a great question. All right. Uh, defense. Let's go Jordan Davis. And I think my two answers are going to be obvious answers. I think Jordan Davis for me, number one, because he allows us with his ability to control the interior of that Clemson offensive line. I think he will allow us to control the Clemson run game with even numbers, which is critical in allowing us to dedicate more 
to pass coverage. We know what Clemson likes to do, especially now with Etienne gone. He's out of the equation. I don't really have much fear of the Clemson running game. I really don't. I, I, I don't going into this game. And if you look at a guy like Jordan Davis helping us, along with, of course, the other guys on the defensive line, like like Devontae White and Jalen Carter, all those guys, I think they're going to allow us to be able to control the Clemson run game with even numbers, which will give us the ability to dedicate more numbers to pass coverage. That's what it's about, guys. And the reason, I, I've talked about this many times before on the show, the reason we put such a premium and such an emphasis on stopping the run on first and second down is so that we we can do it with even numbers. That's why we don't just like let our, our pass rushers just pin their ears back and just rush the pass around first and second down like some other teams do. I get, I get the desire to want our guys to do more of that, but on first and second down, we don't just allow them to do that because we want to be able to stop the opposing team's run with even numbers, which allows us to do more from a coverage standpoint. It gives us the numbers advantage against the pass. That's what we're trying to do. Then once we get to third down, then we let those guys pin their ears back and go after the pass, go after the passer and, and create chaos and havoc and all those things. So I think Jordan Davis has been the key to that for a long time, really since his freshman year when he started to finally get some playing time. I think Tennessee was the first game really started to get some playing time. Our rush defense turned around instantly once he was kind of thrown out there, and uh, we haven't really looked back. He's, he's key to that. And then the uh, offensive player, at the risk of, of taking the obvious answer here, I'm going to go JT Daniels. I, I said it a few minutes ago, to beat the best teams, you got to outscore them. That's what college football has become. Defense, I don't know if defense wins championships anymore. I think good enough def- I think elite offense and good enough defense wins championships these days. I don't think you can be elite on defense and pretty good on offense and win national titles. Because guys, that's been that's what we've been. We've been elite on defense and pretty good on offense. And we've been a contender, but we haven't won a national title. So for that to change, I think we have to take it up a notch on offense. And I think JT Daniels is the key to that because the quarterback is the most important position on the entire field. We've seen teams year after year that have the best quarterbacks are winning national titles, whether it's Tua Tungabailoa, whether it's Trevor Lawrence. These are teams that are winning and playing for national titles. And I do not think, I'm not saying JT is perfect. He's not. We've talked about that in this offseason. But we've never had a quarterback of his, of his caliber in the Kirby Smart era going into a big game like this. We've kind of always been firing with like a half-loaded gun but not this year. That's not the case this year. So I'm going to go JT Daniels being a really important piece to this uh, to, to beating Clemson in week one. Anxiety. Uh, I talked about the position always. battles. I mean, yeah, I've always got anxiety every game. And as confident as I am, like when I'm in that stadium on September 4th, I'm going to be freaking out. I, I My heart's going to be racing about a about 275 miles an hour, if that's possible. Would my heart beat out of my chest if it was going that fast? Like, It would explode, right? I mean, we don't want you to have a heart attack. Like, what I would like if, if your heart's going that like 275 beats per minute, you're having a, you're dead, right? Like, that's yeah, not possible. I, okay. Yeah, I don't think just, you could survive. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I just feel like that's that's pretty intense. Like, that's a little like my heart rate, like when I like and I'm, I'm like sprinting according to my Nike Apple Watch is like 185 when I'm like trying to run like a five or six minute mile. So I guess if it's 275, I would be dead. Yeah. It, 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 my heart really explode. Okay. All right. Anyway, so maybe it won't get quite that high. Maybe 200. Can I get to 200? No, I'd probably explode there too, right? Uh, I don't know. It, it's going to be. That. Okay. No, no, we don't need to Google that. It's it's going to be going fast. Let's just say that. But anyway, anxiety, uh, defense. Let's go to the cornerback opposite Darian Kendrick. I feel pretty good about Kendrick over there with his experience coming, especially the fact that he has a lot of familiarity with his Clemson offense going into them in practice. But that cornerback opposite of Kendrick, whoever that's going to end up being, whether it's Ringo, whether it's Speed, whether it's Kimber or Green or somebody, whoever it ends up being, 
I have concerns there because we know, especially with a guy like Justin Ross potentially coming back for this game, although I still have not officially heard that he's 100% cleared for practice yet, but I, I still expect him to be. With a guy like that coming back with his with his skill set and his pedigree, you know, I know he's coming coming off a year where he didn't play at all, but he's done some some really good things at the college level. That's a tough matchup if they get mashed up on him. So that certainly gives me some anxiety there, especially when you got DJ Williams way back there who can push the ball vertically on the field, got a great arm. And then offensively, whether it's Xavier Truss or Tate Rattledge, one of those two guys can be a first year starter against one of the two best teams in lines in the country. And that concerns me. I think it has to concern you, whether it's Rattlers going up against guys like Brian Brissett on the interior or Trust going up against guys like Miles Murphy or, or Xavier Thomas on the outside there. That's certainly something that's going to be I, something I'm going to be watching very closely and something that, even though I'm confident that we're going to win this game, I feel really good about that. I, I do have anxiety about for sure. All right. Well, Cliff also has a Georgia-adjacent question for us today. He wants to know how confident you are that Bama wins the SEC West and which team you consider to be the biggest threat in the West? Hmm. I know Alabama, I know this Alabama. might sound crazy. I think it's 50-50 that Alabama wins the West this year. Uh, they're losing a lot on that offense. Now, the defense is loaded. They're probably going to be led by the defense this year. And they are, look, we know they're talented. Like, they're not rebuilding. Bama doesn't rebuild. They're reloading. Uh, and But if you look at quarterback, Bryce Young... He may be a millionaire already, but do we know if he's actually going to be any good? Like, we think he's going to be really good based on the fact that he was a five-star player coming from California, a really highly rated guy. You know, you think he's going to be really good, but we don't. do we know that yet? Do we know how good he's going to be? I expect him to be good, but is he going to be as good as Tua? Is he going to be as good as Mac Jones was? I I still have questions about that. We don't know that. They're losing a ton at wide receiver. The Heisman Trophy winner is gone. Jalen Waddle is gone. Two first-round players at wide receiver are gone. Is John Mechie that kind of guy where he can be a number one guy, plug and play right away? I don't know. I I, I didn't see that from him last year, guys. I'm not convinced that he is a, a Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle type guy. I'm not convinced. Jamison Williams, a transfer from Ohio State, I'm not... He, he transferred for a reason, guys. He wasn't going to play all that much at Ohio State. So we're just going to say he's going to be a superstar right away. I'm sure he'll be good in that system, but I don't know if he's going to be like Devontae Smith level good or Jalen Waddle level good. I don't know. Defense is going to be good. Their front seven is awesome. Very experienced. Christian Harris and Henry Toto are a great duo at, at the inside linebacker position. You got LeBron Ray, you got DJ Dale on the, on the defensive line. They're going to be really good. But I think it's 50-50 whether or not they're going to win that that division. A&M, obviously, they were fifth they were, uh, fifth in the college playoff last year. They have a lot of dudes coming back on defense, and they have like nine guys coming back on defense. But there's a major question mark for quarterback, a major question mark. Haynes King, maybe Zach Calzada from North Gwinnett. Like, it's probably going to be Haynes King, but how good is he going to be in his first year as a starter? That's a major question at the most important position. And they still, like, I still have questions about them at receiver. I know Weidermeyer is a really good tight end, one of the best in the country. Baylor Cup was a highly rated guy. He's finally healthy at tight end. So they should be good there. I don't know if they're elite at receiver. I don't know if they're elite at quarterback. They're really good on defense, but I don't know. To me, the team to watch is LSU. And let's not forget, Charlie, I don't always get it right. But when I do, I get it right. LSU, 2019. Who had them pegged to win the SEC West in 2019, coming to that season? 
I guess you did. Yeah, there's no guessing. I did. This guy. Uh, I don't get all these things right, but when I get it right, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll remind you about it. But I got that one right because I saw what LSU had coming into that year and I, the talent was there. And Bama, I didn't think was as good coming in 2019 as they had been in years past. And I kind of feel that way about LSU this year. And I'm not saying that they got, you know, Joe, Joe Brady's not walking back through those doors. You don't, you're not going to see Joe Burrow out there dropping dimes. No, I'm not saying that. But LSU guys, they are loaded with talent. I know last year was a disaster for them. The one concern for me for LSU, the big concern is all the off the field stuff kind of swirling around there. There's been some just chaotic situations going on behind the scenes. There's been some controversy there. And it's kind of been percolating for a while. So that gives me a little bit of pause, sure. But last year was kind of a transition year for them. All those guys that they lost from the 2019 season, they had to replace them last year. And they had a lot of inexperienced players all over the field last year. Well, those guys took their bumps and bruises last year. They are experienced now. Yeah, there's a quarterback battle there, just like there is at AM. But whether it's going to be Miles Brennan or Max Johnson, both those guys have experience and they've shown the ability. Max Johnson went out and won a game in the swamp against the top, well, I guess at the time it was a top six Florida team. We saw what Miles, John, Miles Brennan was able to do before the injury. He was playing really well for him. He wasn't the reason they were losing games. He was playing really well. They also returned four to five stars on the offensive line. John Emery, Price Davis coming back as a one-two punch at running back. Kayshawn Boutte may be one of the best receivers in the SEC this year. Probably will be. Last year, what killed him was defense. But there's no more Bo Pelini on defense. That was a one-year experiment. It's over. And I don't want to put all that on Pelini last year. It was kind of a perfect storm of inexperience after that 2019 year and all those guys that left. And then him coming in and changing from a 3-4 to a 4-3 scheme. That scheme change was tough with all those inexperienced players. So they get rid of Pelini. They bring in a former David Aranda protege and Dante Jones. They got tons of talent on defense, guys. You've got Stingley. You've got Elias Ricks at cornerback. You've got BJ Ojolari, who I know this might sound blasphemous to Georgia fans. I love Aziz Ojolari. BJ might be a better pure pass rusher, guys. Now, I don't think he's a total player that Aziz was, but in terms of just getting after the passer, BJ is a dude. And that entire defensive line is back. LSU is the team to watch, in my opinion. We're, we're going to do our picks episode in a couple of weeks. We'll talk more in depth about that then. But right now, I would say it's 50-50 for Bama. LSU is the team to watch for me. a is going to be right there as well. But I think there's a couple of teams in the West that can certainly challenge Bama this year. All right. Well, Ole Miss, sleeper. Ole Miss. Defense is terrible, but they're going to score a lot of points. All right. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Well, obviously, losing George Pickens to an ACL injury back in March was a blow to this team, but Kirby kept it positive and gave us an update about George's recovery at Media Days a few weeks ago. So, H629Z says that we learned from Media Days that Pickens is already doing some straight line running. Mm -hmm. um, he said he recalls hearing from one of the G-Day analysts that he was informed 
by the UGA staff that the expectation would be for George to hopefully return by the Tennessee game, which mm-hmm. I believe is mid-November-ish. It's two weeks after Florida, so yeah, it's like November 13th okay. or something like that. Mid-November. Yeah. Good job. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, so I had to specify the, for you. So with the update on Pickens' status, he wants to know if this timeline is realistic. If it's not realistic, when do you expect him to return if Pickens decides to return? Man, this is just such a hard thing to predict because people's bodies recover at different rates. That's just the fact. I'm not a doctor again. I don't know how this works. People's bodies just recover from the same injuries at different rates. Some people's ACL injuries are more severe than others. Is it a clean tear? Is it not? Is there other damage in there? It's just tough to know without being a doctor and going there and looking at what's going on. But I will say there has been precedent before where guys have come back in like six months. Amari Rogers, who was Clemson's best receiver last year, a couple years ago, he tore his ACL like basically the same time that George tore his, early on in spring drills. And he was back for week one. Now, was he 100% week one of that season? Probably not, but he was back and playing. George does not seem to be like he's on that track to recover that quickly. I've never, I've heard no mention of him being ready for week one, but you've seen that precedent. It has happened before. And I... George is a guy that's like I know we get, we get, people give him grief, you know, being immature, those kind of things. But I also I'll tell you this about George Pickens. George Pickens loves his football team. He loves his teammates. He loves his coaches. I've actually people who actually know George. I don't know him, but I've never heard people that really actually know him like say bad things about him. They say, yeah, you know, he's got to grow up a little bit, but he's a really good dude. Loves his teammates. Loves the program. Works hard. All those kind of things. And I'm telling you, George is working hard behind the scenes, guys. And he's kind of tweeted some stuff out, put some stuff on social media, where he's kind of been kind of teasing that he might be making a return at some point. And how much do you read in that? I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if George knows right now. Uh, but he's made progress. He's running a straight line right now, which is progress. Now, that doesn't mean he's ready to go out there and make cuts and run routes. No, I've absolutely not. But I do think, you know, if I'm guessing, this is just me guessing, speculating, put that disclaimer out there. I think George will return at some point this year. I think there's a chance George could potentially return by the Florida game. I, that, and that's, guys, I had that's no inside information. I won't even go out there and say, hey, Tyler, Glory UJ podcast said George is coming back for the Florida game. I don't know that. I just know he's making progress. And it, if you look at how some other people have recovered, kind of the time frame, like when they're doing straight line running and then when they, can they actually be like fully clear for contact and go out there and playing. You know, I think he could be in line to return late October to maybe potentially mid-November. I think he could... Be in line, certainly, if you make a cultural playoff run. I think, he can, I think he can be back late in the season for maybe the SEC title game, playoff run, that kind of thing. And, but, or he could not be back at all, right? You, you just don't know. But I do expect him back at some point, and I don't think George will be the kind of player that's just going to say, I'm going to opt out. I'm healthy, but I'm just going to take my talents to the NFL. I'm not going to worry about coming back and trying to help my team out. If he can help the team, I think George will. I think he's that kind of guy. So I think I do expect him back. I'll say I think the Tennessee game is, is a good, safe, conservative estimate. But I think there's an outside shot for maybe the Florida game, too. We'll just throw it out there. Ooh, Florida. I did say that like three minutes ago. I know. I spaced out a little bit. Sorry. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Moving on. Sorry, folks. We have a couple of recruiting questions up next. Nathan says he knows you've said that we should not worry about how slow recruiting has been this summer and that the players Georgia has missed on. But it does appear as though Georgia is having a more difficult time closing on some of the bigger prospects for this cycle. Um, He agrees with you and does not think Kirby has all of a sudden lost his magic recruiting touch. So what do you think accounts for the slow recruiting stint? This is a really fair and reasonable question, Nathan. And look, we've talked about many times, Curtis and I especially, talking about how 
people have for years now, fairly consistently this time of year, lost their mind. Oh my God, this guy is falling. Georgia can't recruit. Kirby's lost lost his touch, and we're we're gonna fall outside the top twenty. And that has never happened, right? But I I think it's fair to to point at what's going on right now and say that we are having a tougher time closing on some of these big time prospects. So what we're seeing now is there's more of these top prospects who are committing early than there have been in years past. And there are some guys that we have missed on that we wanted. There's just no doubt about that. There are some guys that we have missed on. I'm not freaking out because there's a lot of time left for us to go out there and do on the field, which I think is really what we need to do and get those guys back in the fold or our land some other prospects. I'm not freaking out. I still think we'll have a top three, top four, top five class. I'm very confident. I mean, top five, I'm very confident in saying that. I think we'll have a top three class when it's all said and done. But what's happening right now, guys, is that we are being negative. There are teams that are doing negative recruiting against us. That's what's happening. Negatively recruited against. How we can say that? Negatively recruited against? Yeah, we'll go with that. So let's look at what teams are saying about Georgia right now. All right. Well, from 2018 to 2020, According to 247 Composite, we finished with the number one class, the number two class, the number one class. Heck, if you look at just Rivals rankings, Rivals had us number one for three straight years from 2018 and 2020. But in that, even with those top finishes, we have still not won a championship with all that talent of any kind. Like we won, I guess, a division title. We have not won an SEC title with those players. We have not won a national title with those players. We have not won a college playoff game with those players. We have not gotten to a college ball game or college ball playoff game with those players finishing number one, number two, number one in the 247 composite three years in a row. So what teams are doing is saying, look, Georgia's getting all these players, but they're not developing them. They're not winning with those players. Do you really want to go there and just be part of a high-ranked class and not win at a high level? Come here and we can develop you. That's what they're saying, right? And there's specific positions that we've had issues kind of recruiting, letting some of these big-time guys at receiver. And a part of that is, Part of it is going back to what we've done traditionally under Kirby Smart with our offense. We have not been a pass-happy offense. We've not given receivers really a lot of chances to go out and do things like Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith and all those guys at LSU a couple years ago, right? We, and we haven't put receivers high in the NFL draft. We had receivers drafted like Miko, Riley Ridley. They've been drafted, but not in the first round, right? We haven't had guys go that high in the first round. We haven't had guys win the Heisman Trophy receiver or even been in, been in that conversation, right? And teams are using that against us. Like, Georgia's not going to give you the ball. They're not going to give you a chance. And, and now NIL is a big part of this. Well, if you're a receiver, why would you go to Georgia? You're not going to put up big numbers at Georgia. If you don't put up big numbers at Georgia, you're not going to get those NIL dollars. Come to Bama. Come to LSU. We've got proven guys. We've got guys that have proven they can put up those numbers and guys that can get the NIL money. So come here. Put up numbers. Get NIL money. And we haven't been able to prove that yet. We've got to do it on the field. Outside linebacker, the same thing. Our outside linebackers have not put up huge sack numbers because of what we talked about earlier. We put a premium on structural integrity against the run on those early downs. We want to anchor, close, scrape, those things. Now, Aziz helped some last year. We really needed him to go in the first round. He was a first-round talent, but with the knee, the injury issues that some teams saw red flags with, he dropped out of the first round. But he was a first-round talent, so that helped a little bit. But here's what needs to happen, guys. To shut up all that, to counteract all the negative recruiting, all we got to do is win. All right, we need to win an SEC title this year. We need to get to college football playoff. We need to win a college football playoff game. And we need to win a national title. If we win a national title this year, guys, none of that matters. All those guys who are kind of listening to that negative recruiting right now, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna change their minds. I'm not gonna say we're gonna land all those guys, but they will start listening again. That negative recruiting won't have the same effect that it's having right now on some of these players. If we can say, hey, look, with this new offense. We just had Jermaine Burton go for over go over a thousand yards. Wow, JT Daniels just led the SEC in passing. Wow, we just had uh, JT Daniels in the Heisman Trophy 
ceremony or if that happens, who knows? But those kind of things happen. If we win an SEC championship game, if we go over that Bama hurdle, if we win a cultural playoff game, if we win a national title, all those things will counteract all those things other teams are saying to recruit against us in a negative way. So it's all about doing on the field, guys, and put up numbers to certain positions that we haven't put up numbers with. That's really what it comes down to. All right, this is our last question of the day and also a recruiting question. Thomas says, by now we all know the big names in the 2022 recruiting class, but who are the sleeper players to watch for? He says there are always guys that Georgia lands that might not make a big splash when they commit, but end up being major contributors when they get the opportunity at Georgia. So who are they? Okay, so one guy that I've kind of had my eye on, and I didn't know if he was going to end up getting an offer or not, but he actually just got an offer this past weekend. We had our last weekend of visits before the dead period hits going to fall camp, and it's a guy from Calhoun High School, uh, a receiver named Cole Spear. Now, he's a little bit undersized, so he's not highly rated right now. He's a three-star prospect, depending on what service you look at. He's either 6'1", about 185 pounds, or six foot about 185 pounds. So he's a smaller guy. But we've seen in years past don't necessarily hold that against receivers these days. It used to be the, the prototype was these big, tall, 6'4", 6'5", receivers. And you still like those guys. They still have certainly a role in your offense. But these smaller, faster guys have become dynamic weapons for offenses in this modern era of college football. And Cole Spear is that kind of guy. You know, he's a guy that's been hand-timed at a 4'3", Now, with a hand-timed 4'3", what that means with a laser, he probably runs in the low to mid 4.4s, which is still really, really fast. I think he also just measured at a 40-inch vertical jump. So this guy is a very, very good athlete. And he has speed to burn, and that's what excites me about a guy like him. You need speed at receiver, guys. In the modern game with RPOs, where you can basically vacate a space and you get a guy on a quick little slant and he, then he's off the races. Think about what Bama's done for years, right, guys? When we did that, the uh, scheme theme episode on, on Bama's offense, Cole Spear would be a lethal weapon in that kind of scheme if you did those kind of things. And he, he's also a guy that can beat you vertically. No, he doesn't have the size, but he's a guy that if we do end up landing him, a lot of people are not going to be all that excited. Oh, it's a three-star guy. Why didn't we get the five-star guy? Oh, we're selling for three-star guys? You're going to hear that over and over again. But Cole Spears, a guy, once he gets here to Athens, I think with his skill set, his athleticism, his speed, he's a guy that can certainly make some noise and make people forget that he was a three-star prospect. Let's not forget about a guy like Eric Stokes, who was a lowly ranked three-star prospect who ended up being a first-round draft pick, right? Oh yeah, and by the way, Kirby can't develop talent, right? So I think Cole Spirit could be in line to be a guy like that. Now, not every three-star prospect ends up being a first-round draft pick. In fact, most of them don't. And I'm not saying Cole Spirit's gonna be a first-round draft pick like Eric Stokes, but I'm saying I think Cole Spear is a guy that if he ends up committing to Georgia, which I think we have a good shot at, I think he ended up being a really big contributor for us before his career is over here in Athens. All right, good, great, yeah, grand, wonderful. Is that it? We had one more question, I think, or a couple, but we'll get to it. Yeah, we, yeah, we've got a. Yeah, I think we got to get out of here today, but we will be back next week. I think we'll do another mailbag episode, so we'll save some of those. If we did not get to all your questions, we'll get to those next week. And keep sending those in, guys. At Glory underscore UJ on Twitter, at Glory UJ Podcast on Instagram. Follow us there. All those accounts, Facebook, Instagram, help us out there. Really appreciate it. And go get your new 2021 Georgia gear at Alumni Hall, guys. All the new rivals are coming in, and I'm telling you, they sell out fast this time of year. So get yours now at Alumni Hall before they are gone. But thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dog.